As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective. I'm Ted Berg. Joining me on the line, as always, is one of the Athletics Mets beat writers, Tim Britton. And Tim, the Mets win, won their fifth in a row Monday night. We're recording this on Tuesday morning. Clinch a postseason berth. I really liked what you wrote about it. Um, in that, as a Mets fan who, and I think like like yourself, who who came up watching the Mets during a time uh, when they went on a, a very long postseason drought. For me, specifically between '88 and '99, uh, I tend to think like, oh, they were just in the postseason in in 2015. Every National League team outside of the state of Pennsylvania, has played a playoff game since the Mets have. I did not know that until I read, read your column. <laughs> yeah, every NL team except the, the Phillies and the Pirates. Uh, it's, it's, I think, seven major league teams have longer postseason droughts than the Mets, and that includes the Orioles, whose drought is literally one day longer because they lost in the wild card round along with the Mets in 2016. Uh, it's only 12 teams in North American professional sports. It's only five teams across the NFL, NBA, and NHL that have not been in the postseason since then. Uh, so it is uh, pretty remarkable. Uh, and you think about the amount of turnover that the Mets have had since 2016. Uh, you know, the, the team that made it then, uh, no one who was on the playoff roster for the Mets wildcard loss to the Giants is on this team. Uh, because the three guys who were on the 2016 team, Jacob deGrom, Seth Lugo, and Brandon Nimmo, none of them were on the playoff roster that night. Um, you know, the, the only guy who's played a playoff game for the Mets, who is on the Mets, is deGrom. Uh, and he's never played a home playoff game uh, because he, he was all four of his starts in 2015 were on the road. Uh, and then, you know, you've got you've had five managers in that time. Eight different people have been, in some capacity, leading baseball operations. Uh, the Mariners have the longest postseason drought in North American sports, 21 years. They've had four people leading their baseball operations in that stretch in 21 years. The Mets have had eight in the last six. So it's there's been, you know, it, it's six years in the context of Mets history is not particularly long. They've had uh, droughts of, of, you know, it was seven years at the start. It was 13 years uh, between 73 and 86. It was 11, like you mentioned, between 88 and 99. It was nine from 06 to 15, which felt like an eternity because of, of the unfinished business you felt from 06. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this six years, I mean, they, they've packed 
a lot into six years. Uh, and it, it really does feel like, uh, you know, in the same like like Connor Gillespie's home run feels a little bit like it was yesterday. Uh, and yet uh, it also feels like it was part of like a different historical era. Yeah, and and you know you referred to all the tumult in the in the uh, surrounding the franchise, really the ownership and then front office and the manager manager, and it feels like a time when um, and the on the field Mets can't breathe because the Braves keep winning too. Uh, took care of the Phillies, won, won their fourth in a row last night. The the Mets lead remains at one. It's the best divisional race, the closest divisional race in baseball, but uh, from a larger you know, a, a more distant point of view, this feels like a time to exhale a little bit. Like, some of that uh, tremendous amount of turnover is coming to an end. We feel very, we can feel very confident that Billy Epler and Buck Showalter are going to be part of this team next year. Um, and we couldn't have said that for, like, any of the last seven years. Yeah, I mean, like, I this is my fifth season covering the Mets after each of the first four, they have been searching for a manager or general manager, uh, that off that October, uh, and the, the year before I joined them, they were, they were hiring Mickey Calloway. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it is, uh, it's not time to exhale entirely, like you say, but it is a nice time to reflect, uh, you know, as a, as a fan, you can take some time and say, you know what, it's, it's a really tight race under, most any other season in Mets history and any other season in National League East history, if you're sitting there at 94 and 55, you've got a comfortable division lead with, with right. 13 games left. Uh, it's not the case this year because of, of Atlanta right on the heels. I mean, it looked like I was looking at it. Uh, Atlanta is already one of the best. Like if they if, if it loses out the rest of the way, it's already one of the best second place teams in National League East history. Uh, the 85 Mets are the best. With 98 wins, I think the 99 Mets with 97 uh, are the second best, second place team in NL East history. Uh, but you're looking at a, a, a pretty good chance. You know, no team in the NL East has won 100 games since the 2011 Phillies. Uh, looks like you know that they won 102. That both Met, both the Mets and Atlanta are on pace to surpass 102 wins. Uh, they've got a chance to be the two best teams in the National League East in 24 years since the, the 98 Braves won 106. Yeah, and, so. and, you know, the Phillies are still, meanwhile, despite getting swept by the Braves, right in the postseason mix here. So so it's not like they're doing this in the NL Central, for example, or the AL Central, which is, a, you know, sort of a weaker division with more rebuilding teams. This is a t- uh, division with uh, the two great teams, another viable contender, um, the Nationals, who are horrible, um, but not, like, way more horrible than the bottom dweller in every other division, um, and the Marlins, who are, like, also pretty bad, but, again, like, not, not the worst. Yeah, it's it's fun, you know, like you compare this to the the 2006 season with the Mets where they just it just felt like it was a season a summer long coronation for them. It was like, oh yeah, by by May 1st the, the division was won. Uh and uh the Mets were not challenged from that point forward and and they were clear head and shoulders above not just the rest of the NL East, but really the rest of the National League uh that season and and they won 97 games. You know, this team has been on pace uh a pace well ahead of that team for most of the summer. Uh, and uh, it's still not in hand yet. I mean, that team won the division, let me check, by by 12 games. Uh, you had, you know, the, the Nats in 2017 won 97 games and won the, you know, at least by 20. <laughs> um, 
you know, it's, it's a different division this year. Uh, it's, it's kind of back to being uh, the, the really strong NL East that, that you and I grew up with, uh, that, we're, that we're used to seeing from, you know, like uh, 2005 when all teams were over 500, that kind of thing. Uh, so it's, you know, in, in most circumstances, this would have been the time to say, like, hey, th- this is a great Mets team. Let's let's celebrate them. Let's not worry about uh, every little aspect. Let's not worry about Darren Ruff's slump. Let's not worry about what you're getting out of the catcher position. Let's not worry about the fifth starter, the left-handed reliever, or any of that. We've got some time before the playoffs to worry about that. But th- you know, you're you're in a dogfight uh, for the division title, and it means so much more because of the way the playoff format is. And I thought that the the win Monday night felt really felt especially good. Because they beat up on Corbin Burns, who in one of uh, I would have to I'd have to guess I don't know how the the they're going to line up with the Marlins in terms of pitchers, but that's got to be as tough a matchup as they're going to have until that that three game series with the Braves at the end of the month. And so you know coming off a of four games with the Pirates, which you, you want and you'll take, but you also think like well you know they they need to sweep the Pirates. The Pirates are like a triple-A team at this point. Uh, you beat a real team and a very real pitcher in the Brewers in the first game of that series. Uh, Scherzer looked dominant to start the game. Uh, it it feels it feels like maybe this team is like sort of it, it, it scuffled. There were some scuffles in there, right? They got swept by the Cubs. You start worrying, has this team is it not the dominant force it was earlier in the season? Winning a game like that reminds you of what this team can do. Yeah, I mean that that was probably their their best win in a while, right? Like the the, the win you felt best about, independent of the clinching scenarios, the just the the most crisply played, the best played game the Mets have had in a while. Because, like you said, the the Pittsburgh series uh, was also a reminder that oh yeah, like the the Pirates are a fifty five and ninety five team or whatever their record is uh, for a reason. You know, they made four errors on Sunday. They they had mental lapses. They just they don't they don't pitch very well. They walked guys. They hit guys like. Outside of O'Neill Cruz hitting every ball that you know, make, every time he hits makes contact, it's at 110 miles an hour. There's not a lot to to love about the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, the Brewers, uh, you know, are a, a borderline playoff team. Uh, they're facing the reigning Cy Young winner in Corbin Burns, who's having another outstanding season for them. Uh, they just played a really good tight series with the Yankees, where they scored a lot of runs. Uh, they they knocked around Garrett Cole on Sunday, uh, and yet the Mets came in there. Uh, and took care of business, really. It was kind of a, a workmanlike professional win led by Max Scherzer, of course, uh, and just made you feel really good about a lot of different aspects of that team uh, and felt kind of a, a representative win uh, for the 2022 Mets. How much longer would the regular season need to be for Eduardo Escobar to cement his MVP case? I mean, it probably would need to go to like October 6th or 7th rather than ending on the 5th. That's about it. It's, you know, and it is... It's amazing because, you know, like you think about how a fan, the fan base feels about Darren Ruff right now. Uh, and he's two good weeks away from changing that narrative. I mean, maybe even, uh, the same way that maybe even less than that. If he has a week like Escobar did, like, you know, with it, with how few at bats he's had, like then he's the, the best OPS on the team. <laughs> right. You know, and, and just time it well, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> go three for three off Max Fried with two home runs. Uh, in Atlanta, and you, you you know you you win a lot of fans back that way. But uh, Escobar, you know, is really you, you talk about how injuries hurt a team all the time. Uh, you know, the injuries to Brett Beatty and to Luis Guillorme opening up the opportunity for Escobar to come back and to play full time, uh, to play every day for a stretch uh, out of necessity, uh, has helped him kind of you know find his his rhythm, find his stride. He's talked all season long about 
you know, that he's, he's in the league for a while because he's been able to overcome things like this and he was confident he was still going to be able to do it. Uh, and it's just really encouraging for the Mets to see him do it because it, it changes the, the look of their lineup when, uh, you know, the guy that they thought was going to hit fifth coming into the year and had been hitting eighth a lot uh, is hitting like a fifth-place hitter again uh, and, and really extending the length of that lineup. And doing it from, the, from both sides of the plate for really the first time this season too. Yeah, you know, he's, he said he's, you know, during his own time on the I.L. with the oblique strain, he was able to look kind of back at, at what he was doing differently from the left side of the plate, changing his stance a little bit, kind of finding what he wants to be from that side of the plate. And the results have, have certainly been there, uh, you know, in the, the time since he's come back. He's been a force from both sides of the plate. And, you know, it, I, I would have, when Guillaume went out on the, the I.L., you would have said, oh, yeah, when he comes back, you will just, you know, bring back the platoon system that the Mets had at third. Guillaume against righties, Escobar against lefties. Uh, I don't I don't think the Mets even contemplated that because of the way Escobar had been playing. Uh, and now it's, you know, if you get Guillaume in, in a different way, but it's not it's not replacing Escobar in the lineup. And it speaks to something we've been speaking about since spring training, which is that this is a deep team. It's a it's a team that is rich with viable major leaguers everywhere and you know one thing that means is that someone when when someone goes down you have you know someone worthwhile to replace him another thing it means is that you can carry a slumping veteran for a while and, and you know brave that that weak stretch and and sort of uh expect something like this to come around yeah you know that it's a little easier for the Mets to to handle Escobar slump because they had Guillaume because he was able to, to provide an offensive spark for the first several months of the season uh, and, and as he slowed down then Escobar picks it right back up that that's a really nice dynamic to have uh, and you know there, there's not there's not a ton of veterans who would sign a you know a, a two-year deal worth eight figures per season uh, and then basically get you know it's not totally benched the way Escobar was but to go from an everyday player to the short side of a platoon uh, and take it kind of in stride the way Escobar did not get really upset about it not speak out about it uh, he took it in stride he went to work and he's you know he's rectified the situation from his behalf just by playing better you know that Buck Walter said it all year you know you got a problem with it play better uh, and, and Escobar has done that I mean Escobar has been like an an, an 80 grade jib cut guy all year right like you always I think I feel like I, I'm not alone as a fan and just saying like even when he was struggling it was easy to uh, respect his dedication uh the the fact that he never really brought it out to the field that everyone and and that you know all of the players around him seemed uh very badly to want him to get it going uh made you think uh, for me it made him a very easy guy to root for even through those struggles looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service anytime sounds like a real game changer if you ask us make the right call and get the service you deserve with discover limitations apply see terms at discover.com slash credit card Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, but I want to talk more about uh, uh, just the depth because last week when we solicited questions, we got about 50 uh, asking the same thing. And it's, it's something I want to take a little time with. Who's going to be on the postseason roster? Because, uh, and this is a good problem, right? Because it, it seems like there are maybe more than 26 players with a strong case to be there. Yeah, so I think, you know, I, I wrote about it uh, for Monday, kind of the, the, the questions the Mets have to look at for their postseason roster. Uh, I guess, the, you know, the, the first one you try to answer is, is how do you want to format it? Do you want 13 batters, 13 pitchers, uh, like the Mets have had essentially all season long? They've They've carried uh, half of their roster has been made up of pitchers, uh, half or more of their rosters made up of pitchers, all but three games this season. Uh, but in the playoffs, you've got a couple more off days. You don't need a fifth starter for a couple of the rounds, but not all of them. Uh, you know, do you go with the extra bench player? Is that extra bench player Terrence Gore, mm-hmm. for instance? Yeah. Um, and that, I, to me, that makes sense. And that I, I think you probably do carry Gore. The Mets have seen kind of the value he can bring on the base paths. You know, sometimes teams carry that pinch runner, and it's a guy who, like, you don't really know can steal a base. You know Terrence Score can steal a base uh, and often get to third when the catcher throws it into center That's field. That's delightful. It's so fun. It makes it so fun. Like I feel like maybe every team next year, that should be a rule change they look into. Like You get to have a designated runner. Um, it's an extra roster spot for a guy who's not allowed to bat. You just, like, once a game, you can deploy the fast man. <laughs> and then, you know, you look at their their rotation and... I don't know that you have an answer yet with, obviously, Scherzer, DeGrom, Bassett. Those are your, your top three uh, in however, whatever order you want to put them in. Uh, and then it, it's Taiwan Walker or Carlos Carrasco for that fourth spot. Uh, there, You can make reasonable cases for both of them. Mm-hmm. Carrasco has probably been the better one over the, the more recent stretch. Walker's been better over the bulk of the season. Uh, his numbers have been better. Uh, you know, neither of them has been great against good teams. Uh, I think Walker's ERA against teams over 500 is, is just over five. Carrasco's is like six and a half. Uh, so uh, you've got that to, to think about. Um, I think it kind of depends on, on who they're going up against and what the, the personal history is against that team, maybe. Uh, but I think, it, you know, it's they're not neither is a bad option, uh, but there, there's not a lot of meaningful difference between them at this point. And then the the, the really tough part is the bullpen. We're going to get some, well, some so, answers. So then the question is, do you leave the other one off or do you keep him in the, in, on the postseason roster uh, as, a, like as a long man almost? I think, I think for the division series, for a wild card series, I mean, you might leave both off, right? right. <laughs> it's three games. You've got your three starters. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a division series, you probably do leave the odd man out off the roster yeah because you don't have to think about him making a start yeah uh and it sucks i mean it depends. it's it's it, they've just both been so good like you know like it, we're, we can quibble between walker and carrasco but i feel like every other team in the league those guys are, are starting in a postseason series you know the the 2006 mets uh you were you were yeah. your third and fourth starters uh because orlando hernandez got hurt right before the the postseason were steve traxel and oliver perez um Neither of those guys had pitched particularly well uh, during the course of that season. So, uh, it, yeah, it's a different feel to it uh, than, than 
you're, you're used to for teams debating that fourth or fifth start of the last team I covered in the postseason, uh, Doug Fister started game three of the series. Um, and uh, he had been signed in July. <laughs> um, so it's a it's definitely different that way. Uh, with the bullpen, you know, we've talked about it. You've got kind of the the five locks. Locks is strong for, for Trevor May and Michael Gibbons, but I think if they're healthy, uh, they're, they're part of that bullpen along with Lugo, Adovino, and Diaz. And then it's probably three spots for the group of Tyler McGill, Drew Smith, David Peterson, Yoeli Rodriguez, uh, Trevor Williams, Tommy Hunter. Uh, you know, that's what did I list six guys for for three spots, something like that. Wait, so, so um, let's count this out. Let's 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 try to put a prediction on the on the record here, right? Can we can, for like can we say for like the divisional series? Because they don't need a fifth guy. They don't need a fifth starter in the DS, right? They just need the four. And so we can say like right. that's a, a representative playoff series uh, with the qualifier that it will be different for the wild card series and maybe different for the CS because of the need, the potential need for a fifth starter. Yeah, so I think in a division series, uh, your bullpen, you've got those five guys I mentioned as locks. I think you probably go with, with Drew Smith if he's healthy and looks good down the stretch. I mean, that that's the thing is is what the Mets, I think their ideal bullpen, the, the ideally they're handing those last three spots probably to Smith, McGill, and Peterson. I think that's what they want to do. Uh, they need those guys to pitch well down the final two weeks. You know, McGill, uh, I, was, I was a little surprised because his, his last couple rehab starts had not gone well that they brought him back when they did. Uh, and then obviously the his first appearance on, on Monday didn't go swimmingly. Uh, so, you, you know, you've got to... There's a lot to like theoretically about Tyler McGill uh, as a pitcher, as a reliever in this this context, but you got to see it. Uh, you got, it's got to work out practically. You're not you're not playing this game in theory, uh, and we haven't seen it in the last couple of rehab starts or on, on Monday. You know, Peterson, uh, you kind of you you know showed you. I thought it was it was interesting that they went with him for two and a third uh, on what was that Saturday night. Uh, you know, the first two innings were really good. Uh, same Rodriguez pitched two really good innings against the, the same part of the Pirates lineup on Sunday. Uh, I think they, they like the idea of Peterson just because he can give you some length and his stuff is better than Rodriguez's uh, when he's on. Uh, he's got to control. He's got he's to show uh, the kind of good attack mode that he did on, on Saturday night. Uh, but I, like, I think I think that's what they want to do is have those three guys. But if McGill doesn't pitch very well, then you've got Williams who... Look, the, the stuff doesn't jump out at you, but everything you kind of want Tyler McGill to be for you in the playoffs, Trevor Williams has been at some point in the season. Like, he's he's eaten innings for you. Uh, he's pitched in some high-leverage spots for you late in games and done well. He's he's done every role you can imagine uh, and pitched well in it. Uh, and so, you know, again, like, the, there's a theory versus practice difference between the two of them. Williams is the guy who's done it in practice for longer this season. Uh, and then one of the other questions is, you know, depending on what team you face... How important is it to have a lefty reliever? Because when I when I wrote on Monday, I said, you know, you've got the case for Rodriguez as your lefty, the case for Peterson as your lefty, and there's the case for neither of them. There's the case for taking eight right-handed relievers with you, and, and maybe that is taking Walker and or Carrasco, the, the, the guy left out of the rotation. Uh, because you look at the other playoff teams in the National League, uh, the the Dodgers are one of the best teams in baseball against left-handed pitching. Atlanta is one of the best teams in baseball against left-handed pitching. The Cardinals are the best team in baseball against left-handed pitching. The Phillies are one of the best teams in baseball against left-handed pitching. Uh, like the team you play in the division series, really, unless it's Milwaukee, uh, is going to be better against lefties than against righties. Uh, and so maybe you know the idea of having a lefty down there just in case or, or just to be as a, just to serve as a decoy. 
you can probably use that roster spot better. Uh, and so I think there is a, a reasonable chance, you know, unless Peterson or Rodriguez really takes the bull by the horns and pitches really well down the stretch, that they just leave that 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 lefty reliever out entirely. Uh, uh, or like there's a there's a surprise. Oh, I guess it would be the opposite. I was suggesting maybe the Braves would make a surprise Matt Diaz signing just to become that much better <laughs> against lefties. Uh, but that's a that's a throwback to past postseason uh, things. So so let's look at the so the bench. Uh, how do you think they're going to play it? We you mentioned the possibilities. What, what do you think we see in that division series? Is Terrence Gore there? Yeah, I, I mean I think Gore is there because I, I I do think you go with fourteen position players. Uh, you got your regular nine starters, which uh, you know. At, I'm interested in seeing how they break down the catching if because it's really just been kind of neato one day McCann the next for the last month basically. Um, but you've got you know your backup catcher, you've got Guillaume on the infield, mm-hmm. uh, you've got uh, Tyler Naquin as your your backup outfielder, uh, and then uh, it's kind of your your right-handed DH uh, and that's Ruff or Vientos. We've seen Vientos getting the pinch hitting opportunities ahead of Ruff since we recorded our podcast last week. Yeah. Um, but you know, not, I mean, on, not, on, and this is not to, um, not to knock Vientos. It's, it's twelve at bats or something. He hasn't made much. Yeah, of and it's, it's not like he's run with that job necessarily. Right. He hasn't really had enough at bats to do that. Um, but you know, they in Oakland this weekend. I, th- I think they're slated to get three left-handed pitchers, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's going to be fascinating <laughs> to see. It's like that, an audition. If, if those, yeah, it's an audition, right? Yeah, I mean, are those three Mark Vientos starts? Are they? Uh, who gets, you know, who gets the rubber game in terms of starting uh, against lefties, uh, and that that might tell you who's got the heads up there. And the other option is, you know, and, and maybe this is what they decide to do is, you know, you don't go with Ruff or Vientos as your right hand as a starter at least in the playoffs against lefties, and you you start Guillorme and go defense mm-hmm. uh, in that scenario. You play Guillorme at third base, maybe Escobar is your DH, that kind of thing. I mean, right now um, that seems to me more like unless one of these guys starts hitting and and shows he you know shows he's ready to be that guy in the postseason, like I, I, Luis Guillorme is a better bet, right? You know, so why not? Yeah, I, I mean, Guillorme has a sub six hundred OPS this season and in his career against left-handers, mm-hmm. and that's what you'd be talking about right, is him right. starting against lefties. Uh, so that that is the, the fly in the ointment there. Uh, but I think in, in that case, you would still carry one of Ruffer Vientos to be a bat off the bench. Right. Uh, and so if we're talking about the, the postseason roster, you know, your five-man bench would be, you know, Nito slash McCann, whoever you consider the backup, uh, Guillaume, Naquin, Ruff slash Vientos, and then Gore as your pinch runner. Uh, that That's probably what it looks like. All right. Uh, I'm satisfied. Uh, we will be back next week with or uh, later in the week. I'm forgetting the day with a live show if you've got questions before then feel free to email asktedberg at gmail.com or get after us on twitter tim's at tim Britton. i'm at og ted berg tim until next time adios